0: Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in again. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Podcast. This is episode 462, recorded on Friday the 11th of November 2022 at 23.17.49. Let's start off the pre-show section straight away and do a bit of explaining. If you remember back to last time, I think, I said there'd be no more text section, and i do less personal news in the show. Deleting the text section only moved that kind of thing into the pre-show section, but please don't stop listening. I was about to say, don't hang up. That doesn't really make any sense. I'm not talking to anyone on the phone. Let me just reassure you that the non-science fiction, fantasy, and horror content is much, much less than it previously was, and much more hot takey as I said it would be. Let's start off with some personal tech stuff before we launch into quite a content-heavy show. Today we'll be talking about Thor Love and Thunder, Halloween Ends, Barbarian, The Peripheral, so a lot of brand new stuff that we haven't talked about before, and we'll also be retouching on, let's see now, The Umbrella Academy for All Mankind, and Andor. As well as a few off-topic things, but like I said, not as much as there was before. Back to those personal tech issues, I've been in Windows Audio Driver hell. My audio issues that I explained over the past few weeks that have been causing quite a lot of trouble, that started with that rattly graphics card, but continued on to a lot of other things all of which increased my noise floor to a very high, unacceptable level. Those issues are, I hope, resolved, or at least resolved as much as they can be at this point. Let's talk about what I did to try and reduce the noise floor. Apart from removing that graphics card, which happened quite a while back, I tried moving the cable because sometimes it can be electromagnetic interference if the cable is going across some other power lines. I tested the mixer for just hardware wearing out, and also the PC outputs for the same reason. I looked at the VIA drivers. My motherboard uses a VIA audio subsystem. And, getting pretty desperate, I even tried a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 3rd gen USB interface. Yes, after all that talk about how I prefer analogue gear, I went and bought a analogue-to-digital interface. And it did sound good, but... It was very low output, I found, compared to my Yamaha MG-06 mixer. And it also didn't do loopback, which is really vital for a podcaster, because you want to talk, but you also want to bring stuff in through your computer. And I couldn't really do that with the 2i2. I think there was a way around it, but I didn't invest enough time in doing it, and it was expensive, so yeah. It went back. And it is good that it went back, because I finally found out what the problem was. And it wasn't any of those things. The reason I was getting a high noise floor is that Windows was frequently messing around with the drivers. On my current new old PC, for some reason, Windows unpredictably adds 10 decibels to the noise floor. I don't know why that is, I still haven't found out why, but I did find out that if I reinitialize the via drivers, turning them off and on again in other words, that reduces the noise floor. Back to not perfect, but good enough. I wrote a script so that I can just click a shortcut to automate that using the developer near Sofa's excellent devman view app. And everything is working as well as it can be. That's a relief, and that does mean I can get back to podcasting without too much stress. I do need to keep an eye on the noise floor levels when I'm taping though, just in case they start to spike, then I can stop Audacity, shut it down, run my script, and restart Audacity. The one thing that I did need that I may have mentioned either in the podcast or on Twitter is a new pair of cans. Yeah, my headphones, my JVC HA-160s, £10 a pop, died. I do have another pair and one more pair spare, but £10 every time, every year for oh, decades, adds up. So I did buy a new pair of headphones, I bought a Biodynamic DT-150, those big chunky old-school headphones the 150s have got apparently a slightly better bass response i think they sound good and accurate but they are not quite as enjoyable as my cheaper jvc mini headphones on the other hand they cover your ears and they block out a lot of sound which is definitely something i need when i'm editing on to Twitter. Twitter is, of course, the only social media that I regularly use, and now Elon Musk owns Twitter. <laughs> and is now, no doubt, suffering the biggest case of buyer's regret in history. And let me tell you, paying for verification, checkmark chaos. <laughs> official grey and then that idea for paywalls and then the very real mass firings and then the real rehirings when he realized he'd fired actual vital personnel (laughs) and then him forcing people to come back into work with no more remote working and mass user and advertising customers and staff exodus and certainly saying Twitter might be bankrupt aren't going to let him recoup. I said for years and years that Elon Musk is an arrogant and occasionally unpleasant man who's too naive to realize that he isn't a genius. Welcome to the normal world, Elon, you're just one of us, apart from being very rich. And now, seeing him not learn any of those lessons, (laughs) it is, and I'm not going to the dark side completely, incredibly entertaining, watching it all burn down. Personally, I use Twitter mostly as a place for me to tell people about new episodes of the podcast. Even just using it for that doesn't work that well for me, which is why I sometimes retweet things and sound a bit desperate, because I need people to listen. So I don't really care if it all goes to hell. However, and I recommend that everyone does this as well, I am in the process of backing up my data because it will not surprise me if Twitter just shuts down inexplicably. Another thing that has been of interest to me as a podcaster was YouTube podcasts. I was hopeful that YouTube podcasts would be another way of me getting my stuff out there, but it turned out to be just a platform for big media outlets to upload talking head videos which are not podcasts. Though I don't think anyone explained that to YouTube. You would have thought they'd understand what a podcast is, but no, apparently not. And finally, today, my car, the poor old Millennium Falcon, suffered its annual MOT. It was, of course, as it always is, an ugly and expensive business. Ah. The car's still in the garage. They say it might be ready tomorrow. I don't want to say how much it cost to get back on the road, but it wasn't cheap. As this is the last item in the pre-show section, let me just ask, does anyone in the UK fancy taking on my special edition PT Cruiser with a few dings and a bit of paint problems at the front, and quite a lot of things that need fixing. If you do, let me know. (laughs) I'm not holding my breath, though. And finally, on to the podcast. At last, we are here. We have arrived. Thor, Love and Thunder. Yes, I have finally seen it. In fact, I saw it quite a few days ago now. So let's talk about that. In the latest of the Thor movies, and the second directed by Taika Waititi, a now hamless Thor tussles with Gore, the God Butcher. Although that title explains the whole premise of the movie, let me get into it anyway. This is because Gore, a lapsed religious and devout man, becomes disillusioned with how his daughter died without their gods' intervention. their very snarky gods. Reply does not endear him to gods in general, and he goes on a revenge rampage, killing gods starting with his own, with this magically appearing super-powered sword, which bestows upon him superpowers and is very deadly to gods. And so, our hero Thor teams up with Jane, who is now more worthy than himself, to wield Mjolnir as the Mighty Thor. She's called the Mighty Thor, that is. And she has a spanking new uniform and a helmet, and she looks really cool. And for some inexplicable reason, her hair's blonde. After nicking Zeus's lightning bolt, which they need to equal up the fight, so that Jane has the big hammer and Thor has his own weapon and he also has an axe, and they think they have enough armaments to take on Gore, they go off to deal with him. That is my brief summary of the details, and for a change not too spoilery, But don't expect that as a rule. That tells you enough about the movie for me to tell you what I thought about it. Okay, Gore the God Butcher sounds like an interesting character, but we don't spend enough time with him. The cost-benefit of gods is touched upon. That is... Are we better off without egomaniacs like Zeus? But I felt there needed to be more of that, and it could have been a fascinating exploration of misotheism, a viewpoint that I can empathise with. Misotheism, the hatred of God, or gods. Although I don't know if doing that would have made the film a little too deep-thinking... No, I'm going to say it wouldn't, because this is far from a film that will make you think. I mentioned the Norse god Thors, not the Marvel god Thors, Goat Chariot in my review of Thor Ragnarok. I've always found that goat chariot thing really interesting and funny. And they're here in the sequel. Although, they're not that cool. They are annoying screaming goats, which is funny for about two seconds. Then it just makes your ears hurt as the screaming is repeated frequently throughout the film. And it's supposed to be funny all the way through, it isn't. I do like the idea of Earth Exiled Asgardians making a couple of quid, By doing product endorsements and also flogging their magic by turning their village into a divine theme park, I thought that the flying longships are delightful. I can well imagine a similar scenario would have played well in Bill Willingham's Fables comic series, which I still haven't finished. I've probably got one volume left to finish that. Uh, Back to Thor. Sorry. Distracted for a moment. The effects are great. But then, of course, Marvel slash Disney know their business. The color palette is crazy. I wrote in the show notes, so I don't want you to think that I'm just thinking this off the cuff, that the color palette hit me hard in the boat, which is... (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know why I'm explaining this. Boatrace face? London thing. Like a shiny throne tarly containing a gorgeous neon-dyed cocaine rangoli, which is a decidedly British-Asian simile. I wonder if I have to explain this. Look, okay. Imagine a metal plate... Traditionally used for worship or for eating food, actually. And something that looks like a coloured sand painting, which you put out on special occasions. It's very brightly coloured and on a very shiny plate. Intense colours, in other words. To complement that, the soundtrack included a whole lot of Guns N' Roses, late 80s excess. That was absolutely a perfect match for that insane colour book. Everyone in the movie looks amazing. Well, they should be, because many of the main cast double as models in the real world. More importantly, that cast's acting was Also very good, except Russell Crowe's Zeus, which was, as well as verging on racist, absurd. Let's try and sum this all up. Like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I felt let down by the film. Though for different reasons, with Doctor Strange, I didn't care for the barely comprehensible, convoluted storyline that turned out to be a really simple and stupid storyline. That wasn't as surprising as I thought it would be, but took a long way to getting there. Instead, here, it's much simpler than that. The reason that I didn't like this is there's too much comedy. Mostly, I do not share Taika Waititi's sense of humour, so his comedy falls flat for me. Even if I did appreciate that sense of humour, the comedic tone is to the detriment of the drama, like I said it was in Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok was just a comedy movie, unfortunately. And here we have the same kind of thing, probably more so. Also... And I don't want to sound cruel, and I don't entirely know how to say this in a way that isn't spiteful, but I don't think Taika Watiti is a particularly funny actor, not even CGI'd as he is in this movie. I think he is a good and imaginative scriptwriter and definitely an interesting director, but he does seem blissfully unaware of how unfunny he is. That's a pity, because I'd like to see what he could do without leaning so heavily on a crutch of playing every damn thing for laughs. I want to see non-white creatives succeed, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to just give an easy pass to films that I think don't deserve it. And it saddens me to say that Thor Love and Thunder wasn't that good. Like I said, though, I did like those flying longships. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to have one of those? And also, I liked that the one that they had in the movie was probably more than one, but this one actually had its own bar, (laughs) with neon lights outside. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That is it for Thor Love and Thunder. Let us move on to something else that we haven't discussed before, and that is Halloween Ends. While I'll give Halloween 2 from 1981 a pass, and Halloween 3 Season of the Witch from 1982, because... Although it had bugger all to do with the first two movies, it did have Donald Sutherland as a batty occult maniac-slash-mad scientist. For me, though, Halloween begins and ends with Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, ventilating our masked nut boy in 1978. That classic John Carpenter film, for me, is the one. Halloween Ends is the supposed sequel trilogy finale that consisted of Halloween from 2018, Halloween Kills from 2021, and this film, Halloween Ends from 2022. In Halloween Ends, a babysitter's life takes a really, really hard left turn, when the little boy he's supposed to be looking after takes a horrendous spare dive in a really big house, so he bounces. (laughs) The ex-babysitter, instead of moving, like any normal person would do, to a new town, sticks around to work in his stepfather's junkyard, and is pathetic enough to be occasionally bullied, by delinquent members of a marching band. No, I'm not actually kidding. He is bullied by four dweebs who are in a marching band. We're not even talking about the football team. As far as I can see, they're in a marching band. I'm not sure about the main guy. I think he's got some kind of varsity jacket. Maybe he is in a team of some kind. But I got the distinct impression. They were meant to be fairly pathetic hooligans to make this guy look even more pathetic, and it works. He then meets through Laurie Strode, Laurie Strode's granddaughter, Alison. And after a horrible night, a Halloween party, because people recognise him, he begins to avenge himself on the whole town by choosing our favourite masked maniac as a mentor in murder. Until, in a surprise move, he himself passes beyond the blood-splattered veil. Because we think at this stage, hey, this is going to be the new Michael Myers, and no, it isn't. Victim-blaming... And the seemingly unkillable Michael Myers lynched at the end. I tell you, there might be spoilers and other things. I thought that was a repugnant ending that we're supposed to cheer to. Even saying it's an ending is completely inaccurate because, as we know, this is not the end. It won't be the end. Money obviously speaks louder than art, so yeah, Halloween ends. Not terrible, not great. Michael Myers does appear to be dead, though, that's something. Unless he is cloned or some ridiculous thing in the next movie, who the hell knows? Next, Barbarian. This is another film I've been looking forward to. It is a 2022 film about a suspiciously nice house in a suspiciously terrible neighbourhood. White Flight is hinted at later in the movie, but not outright said. And that suspicious house in a suspicious neighbourhood has a suspicious creepy basement that through one thing and another, tries to eat a pair of AirBnBers. Of course, it's not called Airbnb for legal reasons, I suppose, but parody. Other characters include previous poster boy for nice guy roles and Apple, Justin Long, who plays against type, except in respect of his innate ability to get it in the neck as a victim, Disrespects both women and a MacBook. (laughs) That had to be deliberate. The sound is rough, perhaps due to budget, but excess reverberation and rumble unintentionally works in its favour by adding to the ominous atmosphere. I don't know enough about film to know whether this was deliberate or not. It did sound noisier than I would expect the dialogue pieces to be. There was rumble in the background, it just sounded like there was very little post-production treatment on that sound, but yeah, it kind of worked. Barbarian was my Halloween night movie choice, and as well as the sound design... There was just generally a great build-up of atmospheric dread. There was a fairly good main jump scare, but then it descended into something that was a bit too obvious and ended in depression porn. That is a pity, because the theme of dreadful misogyny is both relevant and discomforting. On the other hand, a bloke wrote it, so... It could have been better. Watch it for the atmospherics, I suppose. And that is Barbarian. That is it for all the movies I've watched this week. Let's talk about some TV. The Umbrella Academy Season 3 sees our not-so-heroic heroes in a dance-off, literally, against their alternate Earth counterparts while trying to return home. They also get sucked into a suicidal plan to prevent the universe ending by their cold and strange father, played by Canadian Colm Fior, who is delightful as the ruthless alien masquerading as a dandy English eccentric and scientist and psychopathically pushy dad of superheroes, Sir Reginald Hargreaves. Number 5 and Klaus continue to be great, as they always are. They're really great characters. And it's a fine show all round, but I hope it ends. And apparently, The Umbrella Academy will end in season 4, as they've been renewed for season 4, but season 4 is the final season. Let's move on to another show for all mankind. Season 3 sees the Mars mission suffer a drilling rig blowout. Those two teams on Mars, the NASA team and the private expedition, find out that they were not the first to the Red Planet. The President is also outed. Finally, she in fact outs herself. NASA is blown up and Margot's time as a KGB asset, if not an entirely willing one, comes to an end. For All Mankind has been renewed for a fourth season. Unlike the Umbrella Academy, I don't know if that will be the final season. Okay, I'm going to stop the recorder for a few minutes, have a little break, and then continue because I've been standing for quite a while, and this has been a really tiring day. And I had to walk back from the garage after I left the car, and it was about three kilometres. Okay, see you in a moment. Ah, okay, I'm back from my break. It was a very short break, just a minute or two. Ah. Okay, where were we? Oh, before we go on, just a little bit of housekeeping of interest, maybe to almost no one, but who knows? I know there are some podcasters and prospective podcasters out there who might want to know, but I'm still using the SM58. I did put my SM7B back on the stand to try it out, and it was absolutely fine. It's a quieter mic than the SM58, It sounds better, it's smoother, and it also picks up more stuff. Nowhere near as bad as a condenser mic, but enough background sound that I went back to the 58. The Shure SM58 is going to be my mic until I get a proper studio that's far more soundproof, because this place... Not that great. I've got a window behind me, and as we speak, there are cars roaring up and down the street. You can sometimes hear them even on this mic, but you could definitely hear them on the shore SM7B. Oh, <laughs> that was a lot of traffic just now. Anyway, yes, let us get back on track and talk about another TV show a show that we haven't talked about before, and that is The Peripheral. In The Peripheral, Chloe Grace Moretz, great actress, is Flynn Fisher, a carer to a sick mother and war-damaged brother in a hick town in the middle of nowhere. Her brother is an avid gamer who is contracted to test play a new gaming system. He, knowing that his sister is a better gamer than himself, ropes her into trying it out. The suspiciously realistic, violent, conspiratorial drama she finds herself drawn into looks so real, because it isn't VR, it is in fact real. Only it's in the future, In that future, in which a depopulated world is recovering from several disasters, she helps a man who is enthralled to a British-Russian crime family as he searches for his lost sister. Let me tell you from the outset that I'm an early fan of William Gibson back in the 80s. I've read Neuromancer, Count Zero, Mona Lisa Overdrive, Burning Chrome... About 20% of The Difference Engine, which he wrote with Bruce Sterling before I gave up. Virtual Light, Idoru, All Tomorrow's Parties, All Tomorrow's part. Sorry, (laughs) Pattern Recognition, Spook Country. But that's where I start to trail off reading his work and only got a few pages into the peripheral. But... I thought, perhaps, in much the same way as the early screen adaptations of his better work absolutely spank, perhaps later adaptations of his work, like The Peripheral, which did not initially grab me, might ironically now surpass his written work. Not quite. Dodgy London dialogue, written by an American, of course, Weirdly unfuturistic tech. In a near future, we have 3D printing and VR. Come on. This is quite a few years in the future and that's all we've got. Then that contrasts with wildly unrealistic tech in the further future. The future that she has become embroiled in. In that future, we have amazing robotics we have kurtzweil singularity level telepresence and the most central to the plot time travel quantum information thingy that is talked about is skimmed over and sounds like bollocks in fact quite a lot of william gibson's science sounds like bollocks but His early work flows poetically, and so is excused for the sake of art. It really is. His writing can be sublime. To summarise, the peripheral looks amazing, is better than anything else of his adapted to date, but it is silly. My advice is to turn your brain off and watch it for the visuals, which is something that I've said frequently in the past about a lot of different things, then read his early books for their beautiful nihilism. That is my review of The Peripheral. I'm four episodes in, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue watching or not, which contrasts sharply with Andor, which I will be watching to the end. I've now got up to episode 10, which sees the long-awaited prison break at last. They really strung that one out. And a properly, actually soliloquy from Stellen Skarsgård's spymaster Luthen Rael on the terrible cost he has paid for being a rebel. I looked for the script online, and I highlighted a bit of his speech that I want to repeat to you now, because it was wonderful. What is my sacrifice? I am condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. And the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror, or an audience, or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. Oh. So cool. Chills. I literally have a cold sweat chill. Or maybe I'm just really unfit. Or maybe a combination of all those things. But that is it for the main show this week. We're in the after show section. Not much to say. Just a few RIPs. RIP, of course, Robbie Coltrane, Cracker, Hagrid, a whole lot of stuff on British television and films, of course. He hilariously played that Scottish Russian in, was it GoldenEye? I think it was GoldenEye. Also R.I.P. to smooth-talking Leslie Phillips, who cornered the market in playing mild-mannered, suave, and lecherous gentlemen. And finally, I've always been interested in explorers, and especially those explorers who break the mould. So good luck to Captain Preet Chandi, who will soon be traversing... Antarctica, solo. She's had a long military career, although she's still young. And more importantly, she's an explorer and a British Asian woman. So yeah, I'll definitely be following her progress through Antarctica. That is it. Wish me luck that my car doesn't fall apart when it's ready to collect. You've just listened to a show made by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com if you want to help. Please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or enemy or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Podcast. This was episode... 462, recorded on Friday, the 11th of November 2022, but ending on Saturday, the 12th of November 2022 at 00.08.15. Thanks for listening, and bye bye for now. Bye!